Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, find us on the web at revivallifechurch.org. big hug. Give somebody a big hug. And if you would, one more round of applause just for everybody who got water baptized today. Everybody, come on. I should be on the album. I should be on the album. Hallelujah. What an exciting day, amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's an exciting day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, if, um, if you are like, man, I missed it. I want to get rebaptized or I want to get baptized again. I want to do anything. Uh, Travis and Christopher will be here at the end of service. And they would love to dunk you. Amen. One class, we all clap. Come on. Come on. This could be the day. Amen. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hey, I want to tell you something really quick before we get into the message. Um, uh, we've talked for a long time now about Andrew Brunson. You know the name. Uh, Andrew Brunson uh, is originally a Presbyterian, but he's, he's part of our network. Our network is very wide. Um, he's part of our network, and uh, he had a church in Turkey. And the majority of his church were people who fled Syria uh, into Turkey. They were illegally in Turkey, but uh, he was winning Syrians to the Lord, uh, and he was kind of helping take care of them. Uh, when uh, Syria really began to uh, have civil war, uh, and Europe began to open their gates to the Syrians, even the Syrians in Turkey fled and went, uh, or actually it was this way, went uh, west to Europe. But he continued to minister to people in Turkey, and as you know, uh, he was arrested um, not, I don't, what has it been, a year ago, a year and a half ago, something like that? Two years ago, is it? Uh, so he was arrested two years ago. They held him uh, as an aide, like he was uh, organizing terrorist activities to overthrow the government. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, he and I are best friends or anything like that, but I know him. I've had conversations with him. Fairly confident in saying he's not a terrorist, right? He was a pastor who really was living somewhere that wasn't that great to live, just trying to win people to Jesus because Jesus told him to be there. And so Turkey began to hold him as a hostage, basically, as they were trying to negotiate some things. And I don't know how or why Jesus did it, but he became a flashpoint internationally. If you followed him on the news at all, um, uh, Holy Spirit really, for some reason, um, accentuated his case. And uh, not too long ago, he was released to house arrest pending trial. We were hoping that he would get released. Um, we as a network have been praying with him. In our network meetings, his um, wife would talk, his wife Noreen would talk and kind of keep us up to date on uh, what was happening with him. Um, he was not well. He was in a, a cell, I believe it was with 30 people who were all Muslim. They would harass him all day, every day uh, about his faith. They would have prayer five times a day. He said it was like living in a mosque. Um, and uh, so we, we've been praying for him. Um, and <clears throat> because of the internal politics of Turkey, they, they just simply couldn't release him. They wanted to um, find him guilty and give him a life sentence. Um, which would have been a death sentence for him. Um, <clears throat> uh, we were hoping he would get released, but it just wasn't going to happen in that political climate. And so um, because the pressure was increasing on him and his wife and their faith, 
they tried to take over the building and kick them out of their church building they were renting. And um, they said, well, you can have this building only if you buy it for this amount of money. Now, when your pastor is in jail, it's very hard to raise money. Amen? When you're in a Muslim nation that doesn't want you there, is, is saying that you're a terrorist, it's not the easiest to raise money. Uh, and so our network decided that we were going to keep this ground in Turkey. And so uh, Dan Slade, who you all know, uh, or many of you know, I should say, head of our network, uh, he challenged all the churches to raise uh, money. Um, and he asked that each church that can would give $1,000 towards buying it. Um, we felt like it was a good cause. So your tithes and offerings not only pay for the air conditioning, uh, but we uh, put our money together. And last week, um, remember Cameron Wright who came and spoke here? Cameron Wright flew to Turkey to finalize the purchase of that building so that now uh, we own this building in Turkey for a church. <clears throat> so here's what's really wild about that. He said, Carl, you won't believe it. He said, I was there, and, they, and, and the church is on a very busy street. And they just leave the doors open during service, and people walk in during prayer meetings, people walk in during church services, and they just come in and they ask questions. Like, they have consistent questions they always ask. Like, can you tell me about Jesus? Who is Jesus? The church is more than happy to answer that question. So they tell people about Jesus, and they get saved. Muslims walk in off the street into this church and get saved. It happens at every meeting. He said, every meeting I was at, people walked in, Muslims came, they'd sit in the service, and then they'd ask about Jesus, and they would get saved. And so here's what's really interesting. So um, I believe the sale was finalized on like Tuesday or Wednesday. I, I should have had this sorted out, forgive me. But it was at the beginning of last week, we finalized the sale almost immediately after we purchased the property for that I say we, I, I, we just gave money, right? But I like to say the we did it, amen? We bought a church. We bought a church. Hallelujah, in Turkey. We bought it. You can go home and say, we bought a church in Turkey this week. All right, awesome. I don't know what that means, but okay. Um, <clears throat> so like a day and a half later, the, uh, the um, Turkish government declared that he was guilty of terrorism. They sentenced him to time served and told him to leave the country. So he, yeah, Amen. So he's like, thank you. I was going to leave anyways. But, um, <laughs> but, but um, had he been kicked out, they would not, you know, it, the, the, when, when, when a convicted terrorist leads your church, you don't get to purchase property. But right before that happened, we purchased the property. That's Holy Spirit, amen? That's Holy Spirit. And so, um, um, so he was... And the White House, a couple days ago, did you see the prayer? You can see it online. He's like praying over him that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus will come upon you. I'm like, amen. amen. Corey's like, and now we pray for all leaders? I'm like, I pray that's what they pray for me. You know, like that's, that's a good prayer right there, right? So I just want to tell you, um, you know, we've been talking about him and talking about them. And so they're back safe in the, in the country and hopefully receiving ministry and help as they need it. Amen. So keep them in prayer. But the church is alive and hopefully I will get to visit it. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's a good day today. It's a good day today. I like Jesus. So, hey, we are still in our message series, Against the Grain. <clears throat> we are, um, we're talking, we're kind of working our way through the book of Acts right now. We're in Acts chapter 4. Uh, we're um, talking about how the disciples of Jesus Christ lived a life against the grain. They didn't go with the flow. They didn't go with the crowd. They went with Jesus. So if you've got your Bible, you can uh, join me in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. It says, 
But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. You say amen to the reading of the word. If you're writing, if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Angry Mob Syndrome. Angry Mob Syndrome. You like that? I bet no one has a message series titled Angry Mob Syndrome. Last week, we, uh, we were in Acts chapter 3. And uh, remember in Acts chapter 3, they found a man who was lame, uh, who was being carried to the temple uh, as they were in the evening uh, or for the afternoon prayer. And they prayed for this man. He was healed. And we picked up the story last week of them preaching inside the temple. And we uh, went over a couple things. We talked about how there is a supernatural life, that there is a supernatural life. When you live in the supernatural life, people will look to you like you're amazing. But there is a supernatural life, but I am not the source. Amen? We are not the source of supernatural life, which leads us to the obvious statement that Jesus is the source of supernatural life. We need to not connect people to us. We need to connect them to Jesus. When we connect people to Jesus, they will want to connect to other believers, be a part of a fellowship, uh, do the things that Jesus told them to do. But we see that Jesus invites people into supernatural life with a supernatural experience. Uh, there's a great war in the church today. They want us somehow to be embarrassed of having experiences with Jesus. Uh, there's some sort of slander that says, your, your Christianity is all about experience. I'm like, yeah, that's what salvation is. It's an experience. So I'm going to go ahead and go with that. Yes, amen. I experience my wife. We experience life together. I don't know how I would have life with my kids without experiencing their presence. I don't understand this argument as if we're going to be sad or upset that we experience God's presence, that I have experiences with God. I have them. I want more of them. Amen? Want more of them. So he invites us into a relationship with him through experiences. It could be salvation. We saw Jesus. Uh, would tell people they need to be saved. We know that many people come into relationship with God through salvation, but he often works before that. Jesus ministered to people through supernatural experiences like deliverance. Deliverance was a supernatural experience that people had with God. Healing. Jesus often went and healed the sick of people who, do, who did not recognize him as the Messiah. He prayed for them and they got well, but this was an invitation into a supernatural life not just in a supernatural experience. Amen? And so as a believer, the supernatural experiences continue. Uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit is a whole nother welcome into a supernatural lifestyle. And so we uh, want to go from a supernatural experience to a supernatural life. Amen? I don't want to just say I'm a Christian because back when I was, you know, 7 or 19 or 29 or 39, I met Jesus. I'm a Christian because I know him. I walk with him. I live life with Jesus. I didn't meet him and then move on in my life, right? I am living a supernatural life with Jesus. And the last thing we talked about last week is that Jesus will give you supernatural life. It's in his word. It's his promise. Uh, and, and we can expect it. And not only should we expect it, we should be seeking it. We should be seeking a lifestyle of experiencing God's presence. Amen. This is what we talked about. And so today, we're moving into Acts chapter 4. End of Acts chapter 3, they were preaching in the synagogue. In Acts chapter 4, I'm going to give you the three headings real quick. Uh, we're going to talk about the arrest of the disciples, the trial 
And then we're going to talk about the warning. Amen? The arrest, the trial, and the warning. We're going to pick it up at the beginning of Acts chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Bible says, as they were speaking to the people, this is talking about Peter and John, who were preaching in the temple after the man got healed. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in the name of Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, you might remember that Jesus uh, was arrested uh, and by the same council uh, arrested Jesus. And what they accused Jesus of was uh, that he had a plan to destroy the temple. You remember that? They said that Jesus was going to destroy the temple, uh, and so we have to arrest him. Another false accusation they had against Jesus was he was teaching people not to follow the law. They were, they were accused him of that, which would have actually been a violation. Another thing they accused Jesus of is saying that he is equal with God. And so for these clear violations, they, were, they put Jesus on trial, when I say clear violations, they believe them to be clear violations. Now, the disciples here, it says that they were being arrested for proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, to understand why they would arrest him for that, we have to kind of understand who it was who was arresting him and was going to put him on trial. So when they arrested them, they put, um, they put Peter and John, as they did Jesus, before the Sanhedrin. Now, Sanhedrin in Greek means council. So when you say the Sanhedrin council, you're saying the council council, right? It's the Sanhedrin. And what happened was when Israel was overtaken by Rome, when Syria was overtaken by Rome, they split Syria into five districts. I know there's a different word than district because they didn't speak English, but I'm just going to say district. And so over each district, they put a council called a Sanhedrin. Now, in the great council in Israel was in Jerusalem, and that was the Sanhedrin for that region. So I want you to see this. I want you to see what's happening politically. There's an occupying force over the people of God. And this occupying force said, we are going to run your country with this council. Now we're going to pick some of you who will work for us to run this council, run the country in our interest, right? So it would be like, uh, you know, a foreign power invading our country and then finding Americans who will work for the foreign power to rule over the people of our country. Not exactly people with our best interest in mind. Are you with me? Okay. So we have a, a term for that in America. We call them traitors. Right? Anybody remember the old movie Red Dawn? Okay. Now you're old like me or you like good movies. Amen. Wolverines. So this, this council, this Sanhedrin council, was made up of 70 people plus the high priest, 70 people plus the high priest. Now, the majority of this council were Sadducees. You know, there's the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Uh, and you might not really know the difference uh, between the two. Uh, the, the, the Pharisees were kind of like the, the middle-class folks, right? The Pharisees uh, believed that the law was the center of uh, Judaism. They believed that the law was the core, uh, and they believed um, in the resurrection of the dead, they believed in the whole Tanakh, right, which is the full uh, scriptures. And uh, so as you go through the Tanakh, in the beginning, there was the first five books. And then we have the prophets and the, the poets. And, and as time goes on, we see an increased pro- proclamation of God's desire for justice and righteousness. 
As you read through, you see an evolution almost. That's probably the wrong word. That'll get some Christians worked up. But you see an, uh, an evolving of God's revelation to man, an increased desire for justice and righteousness. Now, the Sadducees didn't believe that these prophets and the poets, their writings were equal with the first five books of the Bible. They actually believed that only the first five books of the Bible were, were the Holy Scriptures. And so they didn't have a grid for loving justice and righteousness, right? They believed, unlike the Pharisees who believed the law was at the center. Are you following me? Is this too much? Are we good? Are we good? Okay, am I explaining this okay? Okay. So the, um, the, the, the Sadducees uh, believed that the temple was the focus, was the center of Judaism. They were also wealthy. They weren't the, they weren't the, uh, the, the middle class. They were the elite class. Jesus had less conflict with the Sadducees because they were more interested in political power than righteousness. And Jesus didn't mess with them until the end, right? Because he wasn't in their grid. The Pharisees were very concerned that Jesus was proclaiming things that went against their ability to judge people for keeping the law. The Sadducees eventually began to judge Jesus based on, remember what I said earlier? That he was going to destroy the temple. Remember, the temple was the center of Judaism for the Sadducees. That's why that accusation he was going to destroy the temple was such a big deal. The Pharisees went along because the accusation came that Jesus said, you don't have to keep the law. Make sense? All right, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope we're on the same page here. So what we see, though, is we see this, this council that is dominated by the high priest's family. If you read the scriptures, it says the high priest's lineage. There was a high priest in his lineage there. So it was basically dominated by one family who were Sadducees and some Pharisees. Now, what's important to see this, um, this council, what's important to, to notice in this council is we see people using their political authority to further their personal agendas. We see people using their political authority to further their personal agenda. Now, Jesus was not interested in anybody's personal agenda. Jesus was not concerned about that at all. Jesus was so counterculture, he was developing his own kingdom culture. See, these, 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 these Sadducees and Pharisees, they had come up with their own way to do things. This is why Jesus said that, you, that the word of God is no effect to you because you worship the traditions of man. Because of the traditions of man, you look at the word of God and no effect. The Pharisees believed that the Mishnah, which is the, uh, the commentary by certain rabbis, was equal to Scripture. And that's really where, how you do many of the laws. I don't have time to go down that road, but that's why they kept certain laws. And Jesus said, you got all these things. You have so many of those things, you can't even follow God. Does this make sense? I hope I'm not clouding this up. So here we have, let me just give you a real quick prophetic picture of, of Jesus establishing his own kingdom culture. Now, you remember, uh, Israel was founded by... A guy named Abraham, right? Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 sons, right? Are you with me? So there's the 12 tribes uh, of Israel. Jesus came and sent out in Luke chapter 9, 12 apostles. These people stopped following the original purpose of sending the 12. Jesus sent out his own 12, right? So I told you the, uh, the, the, the Sanhedrin uh, had 70 plus a high priest. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out how many? 70. Who's the high priest? Jesus. It's amazing, right? I'm reading the Bible. I'm like, man, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. This is amazing. 
But what I want you to see is Jesus is always raising up preachers of righteousness to combat corruption. He is always raising up preachers of righteousness to combat corruption, and they will always go against the grain. Noah was called a preacher of righteousness, and he went against the grain. Nobody thought it was going to rain. Right? If you're related to Noah, you're pretty happy that he didn't go with the grain. Amen? Amen? And so we see them get arrested because they preached in the name of Jesus the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not believe there was a resurrection. There was no afterlife. There's just here, and then that's it. The Pharisees believed in an afterlife. And so the council that's dominated by Sadducees arrested them for preaching in the name of Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So then we see in Acts chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 7. Oh, I'm actually doing well in time today. That is just, who knows? God is doing miracles in our midst. Appreciate that, Corey. Hallelujah. Did anybody else try to sing really loud so they'd be on the album? Or is that just how I think? Was that, were you, Brian? Oh, you're on stage. You're you're streaming it. Was I on it? Did I hear me? Okay, Acts 4, 7. I'm sorry. When they had placed them in the center, this is the council, put Peter and John in the center to, to, to quiz them. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire or ask them, by what power or in what name have you done this? Now, why would they ask them that question? Well, when you are in the middle of a political group and you believe that you have the majority opinion, you expect everybody else to come into agreement with your opinion or they get punished. People who go against the majority get punished. And if you do that enough, you just expect people to bow down to your group's authority. Only problem here is they got a couple guys who've met Jesus and have received the power of the Holy Spirit. They were not intimidated by these men at all. They did not realize that Jesus had conquered death and they were not fearful of it. See, what happens is the name of Jesus causes problems in this culture. The name of Jesus caused problems in that culture. When the name of Jesus goes out there, all of a sudden things get a little shaky. If you go to downtown Boca uh, this, this, um, uh, this holiday season, or downtown Del Rey this holiday season, there'll be an area where they put all the religious symbols. Now the Satanists put up whatever doesn't work for them. Like, but it's, you, know, you know they don't have a real God, right? You know they don't have any power, right? You guys know that, right? Don't, don't believe anybody wants to scare you. Like, Jesus actually says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm just going to go with the Bible, right? I'm just going to go with, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the words of Jesus. If I got to, oh, we got to be scared. They're going to, I'm going to go with Jesus. I'm not going to be scared, right? I've never seen Jesus come to me and say, Carl, get scared. This is, I don't know what, I don't know, man. They're all hot on my tail here, you know? Don't be scared, right? Don't be scared. Don't be stupid, but don't be scared, right? So what do they do? They do some satanic nonsense, and they'll put like a a big menorah, right? Uh, And then for us, what do we get? A tree, right? We get a tree. In downtown Delray, they're so not scared of it, they'll put like a 50-foot tree up. How big is that thing? 100 feet? I don't know how big. It's artificial. You can walk inside. Why would they put a tree? Because a tree has no power. The name of Jesus and the cross he died on, power. The name of Jesus, come on. The name of Jesus makes some things shake. Here, there is power. There's power in the name of Jesus. 
There is power in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is greater than the name of sickness. The name of Jesus is greater than the name of poverty. It's greater than disease. It's greater than confusion. It's greater than any kind of discord. It's greater than discouragement. It's greater than any other name. The name of Jesus shakes kingdoms. It topples authorities. It, 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 it erodes the power structure of the corrupt, and the corrupt will do anything they can to stop it. But there is no power above the name of Jesus. Corrupt people want to put it to an end, and they will try to get you to deny that name as well. Well, we're all worshiping the same God. Oh, you're worshiping Jesus? Because that's who I'm worshiping. I'm worshiping Jesus. We're worshiping the same God. I'm worshiping Jesus. You know, the one who rose from the dead, who died on the cross for my sins, third day, conquered death. Yeah, that's who I'm, is that who you're worshiping? Right? They don't, like, good die, right, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's who I'm worshiping. I'm worshiping Jesus. Right? And so, the, the, the powers that be want you to deny his name as well. Because they want, they, misery loves company, right? And so, they want you to deny it like them. And this is where we find the disciples, the same group that had Jesus murdered, these two are now in front of him, wanting them to deny the name of Jesus. Now, Jesus, Jesus was amazing. You know, we talked about last week, I think it was last week we talked about contextualizing the gospel. Was it last week we talked about that? You know, so the Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Bible. Jesus always talked to them out of scriptures from the first five books. He would quote Deuteronomy. When he talked to the Pharisees, he'd quote David, he'd quote Isaiah, he'd quote Jeremiah. Like Jesus, he knew what he was doing, right? Like he got this thing down, right? Like you can meet people right where they're at. How do you do this? I'm God. Oh, that's how that works. But here's where we find the disciples in the midst of these people. And the disciples know what's going on. They're not, they're not stupid, right? And so we pick it up again in Acts 4, 7. He says, when they placed them in the center they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? And they're literally saying, say the right thing or, or, or we can do to you what we did to your, your, your leader. Right? Like, it's almost like I'm going to give you one more opportunity. What would you do? Now, Jesus, again, being God, knew this was going to happen. Right? Jesus then, he warned them ahead of time and he gave them a promise. We find it in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Jesus said to them, People are going to hand you over in the courts. They're going to beat you, and they're going to, they're going to scourge you in the synagogues, right? And then he said in verse 19, but when they hand you over, don't worry about what you're going to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who will speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. This is what Jesus said to them. This is what Jesus said to them. Amen. Come on. Come on. This is what Jesus said to them. So here are the disciples. Here's the disciples in the midst of these people who want them to go along with them. By what power? What name do you do this? I'm going to give you a real, I want to give you a key on when you don't know what to do. When you feel the enemy makes some people think like he gets you so flustered. That you're going to get on the spot, you're going to get put on the spot, you're not going to know what to say. You're going to get put on the spot, and uh, you're going to get confused. Like, like somebody might have caught you in something, 
And, uh, and, and many people deal with anxiety over what happens when people find out I mess up. That is, if you deal with that, you're not alone. That is the key. That's like the, the main undergirding of anxiety. What's going to happen when people find out I'm not perfect? Well, nobody thinks you're perfect, but that's regard, that's beside the point. I'm going to give you a key out of that. You ready? You're taking notes. Write this down. When you don't know what to do, be humble, tell the truth, trust God. Be humble, tell the truth. Come on. Come on. Be humble, tell the truth, trust God. So they say to the disciples, by what name and what power? Oh, what power did you say? You start talking about what power are you operating in? Holy Spirit's like waiting for someone to ask that question. He's just waiting. He's like in the cloud, like, oh, it's almost my time, right? Watch this. Acts chapter 4, verse 8, watch this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, as Jesus said, listen, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Ghost is going to come on you and the Father will speak through you. And they even set it up. They set it up for him. By what power do you speak? By what name do you speak? Boom, Holy Spirit falls upon them. Hallelujah. Come on. Holy Spirit falls upon them. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Do you remember the Sadducees don't even believe in the resurrection? They're the ones running this entire trial. They don't even believe in it. They're on trial for declaring in Jesus Christ the resurrection of the dead. Watch how they talk to him. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, I feel the anointing just reading this, by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, who you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone. Now he starts quoting, the, 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 he starts, so he rebuked the Sadducees, right, originally, using, using what they didn't believe about the resurrection. Now he starts quoting David to rebuke the Pharisees, right? He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. Can you say amen? Come on. Come on. Come on. He's like, you want to play? I'll play. I do this all day long. You got other questions? I'll do this all day long. He gets put on pressure. What does he do? He preaches the gospel. He shares the gospel with them. These are the religious leaders. These are people who are supposed to be looking out for their own people. But they don't. They don't. They don't love the truth. They don't love the truth. And the apostles said, man, if I'm here for any reason, it's to let them know what the truth is. I will speak the truth. I will go against the grain. I'll go against the culture. I will love truth. Amen? Now, here's something I want to teach you. It's a sociological term. It's called groupthink. It's groupthink. And groupthink makes you stupid. Groupthink group think will force you to agree and think that the angry mob is right. Search the scriptures. You'll never see Jesus part of an angry mob. Never in them, right? Let me show you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Groupthink is, it's the practice of thinking or making decisions as a group in a way that discourages creativity or individual responsibility. I'm going to say this again. It's the practice of thinking 
or making decisions as a group in a way that discourages creativity or individual responsibility. The moment you no longer feel responsible for your behavior, the enemy has robbed you of the truth. Well, this is what everybody's doing it though. I mean, this is what the group is doing. This is what the group is doing. No, no, no. We hate them. When we hate them, you know you're in the midst of groupthink. I call it angry mob syndrome. Angry mob syndrome. You hang out with the angry mob, you start thinking the angry mob is right. The angry mob is never right. In groupthink, I got this, write this down, or you don't have to write it, just read it. People make irrational or problematic decisions because they value the harmony of the group over truth. And now the group will chastise anybody who doesn't agree. You're not one of us if you don't agree with everything we say. In groupthink situation, members of the group are taught to not listen to anyone with a different opinion and instead follow what the group leaders say. When you get in a groupthink situation, You'll protect something Jesus wants to destroy. You will protect something Jesus wants to destroy. Groupthink. Groupthink does not honor Jesus, right? Proverbs is very clear, 423. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. See, we have to come to a place as believers in Jesus Christ that we love truth over being right. We love truth over being right. And I have found Jesus amazingly adept at setting me up to defend something that is not the truth to get me to be humble. Have you ever yelled at your kids and your spouse rebuked you and told you you need to repent? Have you defended yourself as being right? That is Jesus allowing you to be humble and repent of your behavior. Does that make sense? I have found that the spouse is almost always right when they say you did something wrong. It's just, if you would just die to being right, your life will just be better. Are you with me? <clears throat> this next uh, sentence, for some reason, is all caps, but I'm not going to yell it at you, okay? But if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I will not lie to myself, even if the truth makes me feel bad about myself. I will not lie to myself, even if the truth makes me feel bad about myself. Let's all say it together. I will not lie to myself, even if the truth makes me feel bad about myself. See, if you lie to yourself, you can never make any progress. When you lie to yourself, you're always right. You never lie to yourself that you're wrong. You lie to yourself that what you're doing is okay. You'll get around other people operating in the same sin, and you'll start believing things like, well, this isn't that big a deal. This sin isn't that bad. This, Jesus understands. You know, I'm trying. Right? <clears throat> Groupthink. Groupthink will get you to believe, hear me, he'll get you to believe that abortion is not a big deal and that sexual assault is not a big deal. As a matter of fact, groupthink will force you to believe that you hate them and it's okay. And that is a lie. If you lie to yourself, you can never make any progress. Here's how you protect yourself from groupthink. Okay? What you do is you find out who the group that you're a part of hates. Find out who it's okay to hate. 
Who in your group agrees that we hate that person, right? I find it easy to hate them. It's hard to hate him. But them is a collection of him and her, right? So what you do is you find the group that you hate and look for the humanity in them. Look for the humanity in that group that your group says to hate. And then you start thinking, then you start finding out that these people aren't wicked and evil. They just have different sins than I do. That's who they are. And I, I think, you know, there's a group that, that was an enemy of God. And I was included in that group. Literally, I was an enemy. I was his, I was they. I was them. I was them. And what Jesus did was not hate them, but he literally left heaven, put on corrupt earth so he could reach me. That is the model how you come against group think. You go identify with them. You find out what's going on in their lives. And it's hard to hate them that way. Group think will tell you it's okay to hate. Hate's always sin. Oh, but God says, you know, righteous judgment. Yeah, leave that to Jesus, right? We're just called to love. Bitterness, anger, judgment, they're open doors to the enemy. And you cannot operate in hatred and love at the same time. You can't operate. We, we, we're just, we're not, we're just, we're not able to do that. We're not emotionally, as humans, mature enough to hate and love at the same time. Are you with me? We have to reject the groupthink that wants to rob us of our righteous platform on the earth. The Sadducees and the Pharisees could have called for revival, could have called for the people to follow God, but they were mostly concerned with maintaining their political power. And they were murdering. I want you to hear this. <clears throat> they both say they believed in the same faith that came from the same God, that came from the same lineage, the same man Moses brought down the law, and the, the Messiah was promised from the very beginning. The Messiah was promised in the garden. They've been waiting for the Messiah since there were humans on the earth and they murdered him because he went against their political agenda. That needs to scare us as believers. That needs to scare us as believers. When we put any agenda above righteousness, when we, when we, when we lean our truth for our own gain, we need to be fearful. We think that sin is not that big a deal because everybody's doing it. And our words will be judged. I'm not trying to scare anybody. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I'm just saying, it matters. There needs to be a sobriety in what we add our name to. We add our voice to. If you got the power of God on the inside of you, you need to be careful about what you add your name to. Amen? Amen. Come on. Now listen, what I'm saying is not popular. This is countercultural. It's against the grain. But what I'm speaking is the truth. But what about, well then... I, I, my, my goal is truth, but what about, it bows to the name Jesus, what about? But what about that bows to the name Jesus? Jesus is above that. His name is above our political ambitions. His name is above our business ambitions. His name is above our, even our, hear me, safety ambitions. Jesus is above all of that. Now, if you think I'm talking about your political agenda, you need to let Jesus be at the top of this. You're being convicted by Holy Spirit, not by what, I, what my agenda is. I'm just preaching the word of God right now. That, Truth needs to reign. Hatred is sin. Amen? We can have very different 
opinions on politics. We have to have the same opinion about people. We love them. <clears throat> May I submit to you, if you're looking to spend your life yelling, at, yelling something, let it be what you have seen Jesus do and what you have experienced in Christ. If you want a you countercultural thing to, to champion, you want to stop them, tell the world what you have experienced in Jesus and what you've seen Jesus do. You want to yell something? I mean, come on. I like to yell as much as anybody. You want to get on a soapbox? I like to be on a soapbox. I like to preach, obviously. I like to, you know, I'm not afraid of conflict. You want, you want conflict? Hey, get out of the political arena. Get out of the business arena. Start telling people about Jesus. Come on. Come on. I got friends in this room who are businessmen, and they'll be in the middle of a business job and just start telling people about Jesus. I'm talking all different types of business. Just start talking about Jesus. I'm like, you know. This is not probably good for business in the natural, but I just have a feeling that Jesus honors that. Amen? I just have a feeling that he's looking for some people who are preachers of righteousness that he can give a bigger platform to. I just have a feeling. I just have a feeling. When you tell people, when you share what you've seen and what you've heard, the enemy has no room. Darkness has to flee. Watch this. Acts 4.16. So they said to one another, now they just confused them. They're like, like, they only had one plan, scare them. That was their whole plan. They had no idea that wouldn't work. They had no plan B. And they're confused. They're asking each other, uh, what do we do now with these guys? <laughs> well, what do we do? I don't know. What do you think we should do? I don't have any idea what we should do with these people. For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through, through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. We can't deny it. What are we going to do? Well, he didn't really get healed. Yeah, no. No, no, like we can't call it fake news. Like it really happened, right? It really happened. So now they got this amazing plan. Okay. They're not scared of us. I know what we'll do. Make them scared of us, right? So we come to the warning, the warning. Acts 4, 17. <clears throat> come on up, Corey and Mike. But so that, here's, here's what they decide. Acts 4, 17. But so that it will not spread any further. I know we can stop this Jesus thing. So it won't spread any further among the people. Let us warn them to speak no longer. <laughs> that ought to work. Let us speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And that worked about as well as you might think. So as we go on to verse 19, but Peter and John answered and said to them, oh, I love this. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you could be the judge on your own. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Hallelujah. I just can't stop telling the truth. I know you want me to stop telling the truth to line up with your agenda. Got to keep telling the truth because truth has a name. It's Jesus. And I've given my life to him and I won't color the truth for your benefit. I don't care if y'all lose your job. I'm going to keep telling the truth. Listen, when you go against the grain and you stand on truth, you testify to the resurrection of Jesus. Every time you're put in a corner and someone wants you to lie, every time someone wants you to defend yourself and you, you feel like you need to lie to protect yourself, or every time like the crowd is doing something and you're going to let them know, 
I, I, just, I just can't do that. I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian, and I just don't do things like that. I don't go along with it. Every time you choose truth over the culture, every single time you testify to the resurrection of Jesus, every time you manifest righteousness, you testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't have a dead God. We don't have a dead God. We have a living Savior whom we know. Come on. Whom we know and we follow. Amen? We have a living Savior. And I testify about Him with my life publicly. Am I preaching all the time? No. But I am choosing righteousness. I was talking to a youth recently. Follower of Christ. And I was kind of asking how you navigate this in high school. And I was asking this youth about it, like, you know, are you feeling pressure to, you feeling pressure to do this or that because uh, they go to a public school? And I wasn't saved in high school. I was the one doing the pressuring, right? Like, so I'm just curious what that's like because I wasn't going against the, the grain, right? <clears throat> I said, you know, what do, what, do, what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you withstand these pressures? You know what he said to me? When they're going to do something like that, they don't invite me. When they're going to do, like they're going to get together and they're going to do stuff that isn't right, they don't bring me along. I said, hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's already let it known. I am not going down that road with you. Are we friends? Sure, we're friends. Am I going to follow that crowd? No. I'm not following that crowd. Listen, you don't have to memorize the Bible. You don't have to argue politics. You don't have to argue theology. You don't have to talk about the wheel within the wheel or the what point of the whatever we're going to go wherever. You meet someone where they're at and you tell them the truth, hear me, about Jesus, about what you have seen and what you have experienced. That's all you have to do. Holy Spirit will do the rest. Stand with me. Stand with me if you would. Let's pray. So Father, this morning... This morning, we just, we want to, we want to live a countercultural life, Lord. We don't want to be, we don't want to be, we don't want to be against the grain just to be against the grain. We don't want to be contrarian. We're not looking here just to start arguments. But Lord, we do want to be a people who follow you. We want to be a people who follow you. And Lord, I, um, <clears throat> Lord, I just pray this morning for everybody who thought I was crazy for having a pool inside this room. I thank you. You haven't called me to be smart, but just to have faith. And through faith, this, this place will dry without destroying anything. Hallelujah. <clears throat> but Father, I thank you for what you did in the waters of baptism. It doesn't make any sense, but you do it. And we go with what you said to do. And Lord, I pray for these people under the sound of my voice right now. I pray that they would just walk in the joy of following Jesus. They wouldn't worry about how they're going to fit in or who they have to fit in with or what the rules of the game are. Or they have to agree with everybody socially, politically, or just, just like they might not even be Florida fans somehow, Lord. I don't, just because the Gators won again, Jesus. And they may not like that, Lord, but we have grace toward them. because Miami lost and people probably want to get on the Florida bandwagon. There's always room at the, at the altar, Lord. People can join at any moment. No, I'm just, I joke. But Father, we just, we just want to go. We want to, we want to be followers of you. We just want to be followers of you, bold, comfortable. We don't have to protect you. You protect us. We can just tell people what we've seen, 
in what we've experienced and you give life. So as the, as the, as the, as the ministry team comes forward, I want to invite anybody who's uh, just ready to be a Christ follower. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than let this happen in your heart. Salvation is an experience between you and God. Other people get involved at times, and I'm thankful for that, but it doesn't have to happen. And so right now, if you're away from God or you want to become a Christ follower, simple prayer that you pray to God. You're just going to tell him that, you know, you believe Jesus Christ is the Savior and you're ready to start following. You're ready to give your life to him, that you have sinned, you've fallen short of God's best, and you're asking him as your Savior to forgive you. Ask him to fill you with his spirit, give you power to be a witness, to live a holy life. And he's going to join you to this community where you get to walk in love with some people as you learn about Jesus, learn the scriptures. It's, it's, it's that simple. Now, if you prayed that for the first time or you've never actually prayed that with anybody, uh, in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come. Just pray with any of these people up here. Uh, if you need healing in your body, if you need deliverance, if you need breakthrough, I'm going to invite you to the altar here. These folks would love to pray with you. I invite you to come back next week as we continue our message series against the grain. And if you're like, man, I need to get water baptized today. Come on up to the altar. Talk to one of these people. We love to point you in the right direction. So let me pray one more time. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you've done in our midst. We thank you that you're alive. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. And give a clap off for the Lord if you would.